Hey everybody, this is Things With Words coming to you now in a new format, in a new language. We decided to move to English because we would like to uh, have more of you there listen to us and understand what we're talking about. It's uh, me, Lyon Sinai, and sitting next to me is... Yoni Zabo. And we are here to talk about, well, basically everything that has words in it in popular culture. Meaning movies, TV, music, comics, and maybe even books. Maybe even books. And uh, we've, uh, we're trying something a bit new this time. Uh, we've got uh, some kind of a format that goes with an easy saying of yay or nay. We're going to talk about things that we've experienced this week or the past few weeks that we watched, heard or listened to, that we've enjoyed or did not enjoy briefly. And then later we will go to our main event, which will be a specific uh, piece that we've experienced. And we'll talk about it in the same manner. Things that we liked, things that we didn't like. And all and in all, we'll decide if it was a yay. Or, or a nay. Exactly. So... Um, the, the first thing I would like to talk about is kind of a nay, sadly. It doesn't matter how you look at it. It's uh, both of the documentaries that came out these past few weeks. The first one is Surviving R. Kelly and the other one is Leaving Neverland. One talking about R. Kelly and uh, all the sexual... Um, allegations and all the horrible things that apparently he was doing and a lot of people inside the music industry knew about but somehow you know turned a blind eye for some reason so there are now people saying what he did to them and it's uh, it's taking a toll on the music industry and about uh, what's going to happen if people are still going to listen to him or not and uh, rather not exactly the same thing but it has some similarities is uh, the documentary about uh People who are saying that Michael Jackson did horrible things to them as when they were kids uh, staying at Neverland. And what's going on about that is that there are implications that are already happening that radio stations across the globe, I think in Canada and in another country, are already pulling out Michael Jackson's songs from their stations and stop uh, playing him. Yeah, and it's not even only his music that's being uh, discredited and is being removed. From the cultural zeitgeist, uh, the executive producers of The Simpsons have just said right. that they're going to ban and blacklist an episode with Michael Jackson in it. Yeah, and that's like, okay, I mean, nobody can take away the talent of Michael Jackson on one hand, but... And uh, some people that really like him and love his music say that he has never been, uh, in quote... I mean, he was never was found, he was he found, found guilty. He was never found guilty in court. So people are saying, okay, but if you believe in the justice system, there's no reason to, you know, to, uh, blame him now when he can't defend himself. Now, I can understand that on one, re- on one side, but on the other hand, these are very serious accusations and people usually do not tend to uh, make false accusations about these matters. I mean, the, the statistics are very, very, very low about that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a very interesting case. Um, the fact that the man has never been found guilty in court and he isn't alive now to defend himself against yeah. these, this movie and these latest allegations on the one hand. On the other hand, when so many people say that something's gone wrong, And something is bad, how do you not listen to them? Yeah. Um, I think the advantage is today we're living in an age where all types of music are available to you. So it's up to you, the listener, to decide what you want to listen to and what you don't want to listen to. 
uh, I think I myself am probably not going to listen to Michael Jackson. It's not like I've been listening to him. Yeah, that it's not much. like you're a hardcore fan. Yeah, but sometimes it is very difficult um, to separate the artist from the creation. Um, there was a band, uh, a metal band called Lost Prophets. Yeah, which, which both, both of us lo- liked very we much. We both loved. And once um, allegations were made against their frontman of. Um, Child, child molestation, child molesting, pedophilia, like the of the. I mean, you don't want to to scale these kind of things, but it was one of the worst. Like it sounded like a horrible nightmare, and he's in prison up to this day. And so, uh, we've obviously stopped listening to Lost Prophets. Yeah, like we're old, we have CDs at home, so we don't have their CDs anymore. And if somebody's playing their song in a party, we would sit that one out, and it would go and tell the DJ something about it. So I guess it's always like this really, it's a question of a personal red line. I mean, when uh, does, what's uh, the scale between the, how much you love the artist and its music, between what's the gravity of the crimes that he or she may or may have not committed so that will stop you from listening to them. Yeah. And, um, it's a complicated issue and uh, we'll have to see how this one goes and yeah what's gonna but uh, I think um, this is definitely an A yeah this is definitely an A it doesn't uh, matter on, on my part <laughs> it doesn't matter how you look at it well um, yeah but speaking about um, music and musicians um, a definite yay in my category is Dream Theater's latest album yay it feels kind of like a return to, a return to grace it kind oh. of like they found their voice again um, after their previous album, um, the overly ambitious, the astonishing, which I found um, very hard to listen to, I did not enjoy it at all. This uh, new album, uh, Distance Over Time, feels like a proper Dream Theater album, and I'm actually kind of excited. We've just said that Dream Theater are planning to come to Israel hey. in the summer to play um, the full album and some more of the back catalog and. Uh, I'm probably planning on going, so that's a, a yay for me. And it's interesting because you were kind of skeptical last time that you said that when they're going to come again, you're not sure you want to go and see them. Yeah, well, the astonishing wasn't really bad. It was <laughs> astonishingly bad. So, is this one is also is it a concept album again? No, no, it's one... it, no, it's just a regular album. It's probably their shortest album to date. Uh, probably their most um, poppy. Their most accessible. Interesting. Yeah, um, and, and as like somebody who's been you know following them for a while now, like for a couple of decades, does it not uh, find it weird for you that they become more accessible? Sometimes people say, "Ah, they sold out and all that kind of stuff." No, I don't. Okay? No, I don't think I'm. I'm, I'm okay with it. Right. I find it fun. All right then. Well, another thing that happened uh, this week, which is like, well, I guess it's gonna be like a flat yay for me, is the release of uh, Captain Marvel the movie. Um, it's the na- last installment in uh, the latest installment in the Avengers uh, universe, cine- cinematic universe, and it goes in the 90s with Captain Marvel, portrayed by the Oscar-winning Brie Lawson. And well, I had higher hopes for this film. I mean, it's fine, and we need to take the, patri- the patriarchy down, and she is doing that in a very. It's like a textbook uh, guide for how to take down the patriarchy in this movie, which was nice, and it had some funny moments in it, and it had some nice action scenes in it, but something like the whole wasn't bigger than the sum of its parts for me in this film, and I was a bit disappointed about that because it was just okay, and I expect more from yeah, my Avengers I, movies. I have to agree. This isn't phase one. This is phase three. We've already seen uh, 
We've already had uh, Infinity War. We've already had yeah. a lot of... Um, what Marvel has done in the last couple of years is they've brought very interesting creators to work on their movies. Um, visionaries, that's how we got Taika Waititi on, uh, Thor. on Thor Ragnarok. Um, we've seen a new kind of world, a new kind of technology in Doctor Strange. And this movie feels kind of like uh, two steps back. Yeah. It's not a bad movie, but I feel like we've come to expect better it's, from the MCU. It's just ordinary. This one also, it has uh, two indie creators that were all... They, they do direct, directed it, and they also took like a really serious part in writing the script. And still, something is missing. It just seems too plain. Yeah, it, it's very generic. It feels... Yeah. It's got this Iron Man 1, Captain America, the first Avenger vibe to it. Yeah. And it's like... We, we're not there anymore. Yeah, I, we, I, we, we I wanted on. more. But there's so, a cat. There's a really awesome yeah. ass-kicking cat. So it's a lukewarm yay for me. It's not a bad movie. Uh, no, it's but not we, bad. I, but it could have been better. Yeah, it, it should have been better. It's like a yay. 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 What else do you have for us? Um, well, I've got the new Hellboy trailer. I've been a very big Hellboy fan for many years now. I love the comics and all their spin-offs. Uh, I enjoyed the Guillermo del Toro movies, Ron Perlman, and so I've been looking forward to this movie. And when the first trailer hit, um, but it was terrible. It was a really <laughs> bad trailer. Um, the tone was super the tone weird, was right? really it looked, weird. It looked like a Hellboy parody for some reason. Yeah, it looked like Hellboy meets Suicide Squad. I don't know. Um, another second trailer has come out, and it's been it's a lot better. Uh, it's got a really cool rendition of uh, Deep Purple's Smoke on the Water right. um, playing in the background. Um, I can't say that I'm still really excited about the movie. I've got my apprehensions about it. I think they're probably going to try and cram too many elements into it. But the latest trailer has been helpful in restoring my faith, a bit of faith in the movie. And giving it the benefit of the doubt, so I'll give that a yay. I'm, I'm skeptic. I'm worried. I worry so much for this movie. I don't know what's going to happen with it. I mean, we're going to see it soon. It's coming out next month, right? In April. Yeah, coming out in April. So there's not like that much of time to wait still, but I don't know. I mean, I'm scared that it's going to, like you said, they're going to cram too much in it, which is like an illness of the, the latest movies that we had to the chance to see. Like they tend to like push all these things together and try to tell you everything because they don't know if they're going to get a second chance for a sequel. Yeah, it kind of happened, yeah, it kind of happened with the Alita Battle Angel. Yeah. And it also has me worried for the last X-Men movie, the, the retelling of the Phoenix Saga. I mean, if it's got Saga in the name, it's probably not going to work as a two-hour movie. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I mean, it's a cautious yay for me. I don't know. Um... Well, something that's a super big yay on my account is, uh, well, I'm, I'm really thrilled and waiting for the new Jordan Peele horror movie. It's called Us. It's going to come out around the end of this month, the end of uh, March. And on the next issue of Fangoria, the printed, revived uh, horror magazine that was, went bankrupt and then after uh, a few years of silence, I think, they came back now with new new management, new production, and they're, uh, they're alive and kicking. And this is going to be their third issue. It's like these huge uh, quarterly issues with like 100 pages in print that people actually get a subscription and buy. Well, they're going to have... Uh, Jordan Peele interview by 
Paul Thomas Anderson. And this is something that I'm really waiting to get my hands on and read because Get Out was my favorite movie of last year and Phantom Threads was one of my two favorite movies of the year that just went by us of 2018. So I don't know how this interview is going to go, but I'm so happy to think about these two talented people and two talented, big, influential filmmakers just, you know, having fun talking about my favorite genre. I mean, and Jordan Peele is such a stellar, um, successful artist these days. I mean, he came from comedy and now he's... He's just doing everything. He's going to do... Uh, he's the um, executive producer of the new Twilight remake series. No, Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone, sorry. Not to be confused no. with the Twilight <laughs> movie series, which should never be remade. No, 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 not that. No, no, I'm sorry. No, uh, no the Twilight Zone, the classic, and uh, that's going to come... Uh, going to be soon on CBS, so... I'm just, I'm just thrilled. I don't know. I just, I, I have so high hopes for this movie, by the way. And uh, speaking of uh, movies and series and the horror genre, we've uh, just heard, I mean, a couple of weeks ago that uh, The Haunting of Hill House will continue, but not as we feared that they will just try to retell or expand the story of the family. No, they're putting it aside and they're going to do another. It's like going to be turned into an anthology series. And now the next haunting is going to be the haunting of Blaine Manor, which is actually going to be a new reimagining or retelling of a classical Henry James horror story, which is very, very thrilling. Yeah, it's a retelling of the turning of the screw. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. it's the returning of the, it's the turning of the screw. And it's uh, Mike Flanagan is still the showrunner and the director of the whole thing. And he said when Haunting of Hill House uh, well, got all the buzz and all the praise from everybody, uh, he said that, yes, I love this family, but they have suffered enough and they've been through enough and I'm not going to try to extend their story. This story had a start, and a middle and an ending. So if I'm going to do anything, it's going to be something completely different. And this is what I hoped for. I mean, I was hoping that they're going to take another story. I mean, uh, The Haunting of Hill House is a classical Shirley Jackson horror story. And they took it and they've turned it into something completely different from the classic, from the classic tale. So I see that this is where they're taking it. I and mean, it's exactly what I was wishing for, that it's going to be like this anthology of classical horror ghost stories with in uh, weird creepy mansions getting uh, a contemporary set so so that's a yay for you uh, hell we've, yeah <laughs> we've actually just seen uh, the movie The Innocent yeah the black and white version uh, which is also kind of a retelling of, of the, the same, same story. short story and I really enjoyed that movie so I have yeah. to say that I'm also excited for this uh, new season this new series debate debuting on uh, Netflix at yeah. some point so Somewhat, that's a year yeah. for me too yeah, I think we have at least like six months over a year to until yeah. it's gonna be aired until it's uh, um, until it's out yeah until it's out yeah yeah and speaking about shows on Netflix uh, I've just watched the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery episode 8 yeah. and I just wanted to give a small yay um, for something that they did there um they did something really cool in the previously on Star Trek bit of the episode. They actually used footage from an unaired pilot of the original Star Trek from uh, the 70s. Uh-huh. And they've used that footage as a previously to establish an, a new adventure that's going to happen on the Discovery Show. It's really cool the way um, the tone changes 
from the original show to the new show. It's really cool what they I did mean, there. The original show, I mean, if you look at it, watch it today, it looks like super campy, right? Yeah. And yeah. exaggerated. Yeah, like. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It looks super dated and funny and, uh, and cool. And, and like the switch from tones between, when you see the switch from tones between the original pilot and this latest episode of Discovery, you, can, you see how far the franchise has gone. And do you like the tonal change of uh, the latest Star Trek? I mean, people, I some people a, diss it online I because it's a, so dark and bleak. I had kind of... Uh, during the first season, I did have my doubts. But the show has won me over, especially with the second season. Hmm. And it, I kind of get it because this is a prequel. So this show, it shouldn't be as optimistic as you know Gene Roddenberry's utopian vision of the future which we get to see especially in uh, Star Trek The Next Generation because this happens before we haven't reached that point yet they don't have peace they don't have peace exactly the first season yeah, it's there's, the there's war, war. Okay. exactly so, so I think it works it, it's a different it's a very different Star Trek movie, uh, show but it's a good sci-fi show so, so I've enjoyed it right, so that's a yay for me and um, just to finish this segment uh, on a bit of a downer We apologize, but uh, the last couple of weeks uh, I've seen the deaths yeah. of some very beloved um, people uh, from all sorts of different venues of pop culture. Um, Luke Perry, also known as Dylan, from Beverly Hills 90210, uh, which I've been enjoying as uh, Archie's father on Riverdale, has just uh, passed. Yeah, it was really sudden. Yeah, he had, I think he had a brain uh, aneurysm or yeah. something, and a few days later, just he died, and it came really shortly after they announced a revival of uh, Beverly Hills yeah. with the original cast, so he's probably not going to be in it. <laughs> um, also, Keith Flint From of the Project. band Prodigy. Um, yeah, he, he also died, and um, Mark Hollis. Of Talk Talk, yeah. uh, Daily's band has also passed. So, yeah. um, so that's uh, definitely a nay. Yeah, it's like our uh, our '90s heroes. Something bad is going. Yeah, our '90s and year. '80s heroes. Have, yeah. Uh, I would, but like, it's not a good thing that any of them has left us. But uh, I mean, personally, I was just listening to Talk Talk full albums for the last uh, two weeks after this happened. And there are some amazing jams in there that I had no idea they have. Like, I didn't know that they've got about uh, four or five studio albums, and he's got also one solo album, and they become like this really... I mean, it's not... I don't know if you can say about pop that you can have, like, prog pop, but there's, like, something in there, like these extended tracks that goes all, like, a bit slow, toned down and slower and more experimental, and it's, it's really good. I, I just found it funny that I... For years, rejected the idea that Talk Talk was by... The song Talk Talk was by the band Talk Talk. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought it was just... That it couldn't be, but it was. But you accept it in, like, rap and R&B music that, like, the artist talks about himself, you know? So they did it in pop music. Yeah, yeah. It's a good song. And they talked. <laughs> so that was our yay or nay portion of the, the episode. Yeah. And now we're moving on to the main event. Yes, and our main event today is uh, The Punisher. Season 2. It's been uh, available on Netflix for the last couple of weeks. And we've uh, kind of binged it 
uh, with a bit of a uh, cautious because uh, most of the season twos of the of this universe in Netflix wasn't that great of the defenders do they still call them the defenders right now I don't know what they call them but um, season two of Daredevil wasn't as good as season one season yeah. two of Jessica Jones was not Tanked. as good yeah yeah it was not as good as season two although I do think that the second seasons of Iron Fist and Luke Cage were probably better. Yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe okay. maybe there's something wrong with the, the preconception <laughs> maybe that the second is. season is, is not as good. Well, it doesn't really matter because all of them are, were, has, been, has gotten cancelled by yeah, now. Yeah, they've all been cancelled. Yeah, but it's got nothing to do with their quality. It's got to do with the fact that... Uh, these Marvel are about to launch their own streaming service. And, and Disney uh, as well, so... Yeah. So they're probably gonna, you know, want to do something else with the properties, so... Yeah, they don't want to give uh, ammunition to the competitors, but yeah. uh, chances are that we will see all of these characters back again at some point at some point in the in, future in some way who knows in some manner so but probably not in a movie <laughs> no probably not not for the last for the next five years at yeah. least i'm sure so the punisher season two is uh, also by showrunner steve lightfoot who was the showrunner and main uh, creator for the first season And we kind of meet uh, Frank Castle, the Pun- a.k.a. The Punisher, portrayed by John Bernthal, where, kind of where we left him. Like, it's not sure how much time has passed between the first season to the second one. He's like, he kind of... Uh, I think it's about a year later. Yeah, maybe something um, like that. Yeah, he's not the Punisher. He's just this drifter trying to get by. Just a dude. Traveling yeah. from small town to small town, minding his own business. Trying to stay out of trouble, but he's the Punisher, so trouble will find him. And so and, they, uh, they yeah, do. Yeah, and in this case, trouble is in the shape of a teenage girl yeah, on the run from bad guys. Like all the bad guys. And Punisher, yeah, and Punisher just can't help but uh, get involved. So that sets off uh, an adventure. Uh, also, season one villain. Um, Billy Russo by Ben Barnes. Yeah, uh, who becomes known as Jigsaw. Um, he comes back. From, a, from the coma the he Punisher w- left him in. He wakes up uh, in, from a coma with amnesia. And that sets up another plot line. So these are yeah. the two plots we've got. Yes, these are the two main plot lines. We also uh, get, you know, uh, recurring uh, characters like Agent Madani by Amber Rose Riva. That's, uh, she also, she's going to try to help Punisher, but sometimes, you know, it's questionable if she's, like, helping them or just, like, making things more comfortable for her. Yeah, or she, or she's, she's got her own uh, agenda. Yeah. I mean, she's she, playing her own agenda. Yeah, and if uh, so, as I recall, Billy was uh, was actually her boyfriend, but he was doing it for his own interests, and he actually played her and manipulated her in a horrible way, and she ended up shot in the head. He shot her, so she's post-traumatic, and she wants to, you know, she's got an unfinished business with Billy, but she doesn't know what to do with it because now he can't remember anything, or so he says. Um... So, uh, I don't want to talk too much about uh, the narrative. Now, let's just dive into it. And the uh, first, thing, first thing I want to know is, like, which one of the characters did it best for both of us? Okay, so I think, um, unsurprisingly, the show is called Punisher. And <laughs> I think uh, John Brenthal gave a very good performance as the Punisher. I think, um, I think he did the best job. 
just the way the conviction and the weight that he brings to the role the the physicality of it yeah you really buy the fact that this is a a veteran a man who sees himself as a war dog uh the way he can't stop moving keeps shaking his head there's a there's a scene where there's a shootout and he starts running and his grunts sound like barking <laughs> yeah it's like it starts from like come on come on and then it becomes like <laughs> just yeah yeah it's just it's it's uh, it's very good i think so i think that would be definitely um my best character also i think he he's the one who goes through maybe uh the biggest uh process through the the movie he's def- the, the the show the show he's definitely the protagonist of the series i mean no doubt mm-hmm. about it but and i think you know what's the funny thing i mean punisher is this invincible comics character and i think in the comic i mean correct me if i'm wrong he's kind of exaggerated you know oh, with his black sure. tights and white graffiti sure, and hysterical sure. shooting at everybody yeah, okay, all the time okay i mean you've got you've got story arcs um, there's a story arc called punisher kills the marvel universe <laughs> really? he's yeah he's probably i mean they're not sure who's more dangerous him or wolverine um And the comics is completely over the top the violence and um, there's another storyline where the Punisher dies and he goes up to heaven and then heaven rejects him well, he and punish, he punches and, God or something and he gets sent back to earth as like an avenging angel uh, another story is he gets brought back to life and he's called Franken castle like Frankenstein he's a He's a Frankenstein's monster. Come on. Uh, yeah, so the, the comics are completely not grounded in reality at all, uh, but the show very much is. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he does have, you know, he's like, uh, he, I mean, he started as a character in Daredevil, I think in season two, right? That's where they met? Yeah, season two of Daredevil. Of Daredevil, and he was, and he was so good, and, the, and people liked him so much, me included, that he got his own show. So, and I think, I mean, Daredevil has this supernatural thing about him, Iron Fist, obviously, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones as well, and the Punisher, although he is really strong and he does survive stuff that normal people wouldn't, he's so grounded, he seems, I mean, it's ridiculous to say that it looks like super realistic, but it does, I mean, when he gets hit, he gets hit, I mean, the violence is so bloody, everything takes a toll on him, I mean, you see him, you see him get shot in the ass. On this uh, on this series okay and then you actually take the time to take the bullet out yeah yeah, yeah. there's a yeah there's a bullet removing from ass scene indeed in Punisher <laughs> season two it's a very good scene yeah okay so my favorite character I mean obviously yes I love everything John Brentel is doing with this character I love the Punisher I think he's arguably maybe my favorite one from the entire uh, the entire series I mean I'm not sure which one of them I love the best the most but I think he's like A really serious contender for me um, but I really loved what they did with the Billy Russo's character and I would like to elaborate because Billy on the first se- on the first season was like this pretty boring kind of dude he was his best friend he betrayed him yada 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 boring got it been there done that and then I mean we knew that he's gonna be part on a, a crucial part of this sh- of this series I mean of the series too But I didn't know what you're gonna do with him because like really yes amnesia no amnesia why he's supposed to be like the super villain now what's gonna happen and they gave him a lot more depth and uh, and uh, character uh, 
comple complexity than I expected them to give him. I mean, this guy, I mean, I think about the actor and I wonder if he knew that his character is going to become so much more interesting that you at some point actually may root for him or at least identify him in some way when you understand him. You do not understand the Billy Russo of the first season. He's just, yeah, the, a, the, he's just this, uh, you know... I mean, Billy Russo of, of the first villain. season... Yeah, the Billy Russo of the first season is just a man driven by greed. Yeah, and he's got it, and he seems to have it all. I mean, he's successful, he's got his own company of uh, just doing what he liked to do in the army, just that now it's not dangerous because it's a security company. And he's the manager, and he's got all these nice suits, and he gets the girl, and then he shoots the girl in the head. I mean, he's horrible, and you've got nothing but contempt for him. And in the second season, you really see the, the trauma of, of war and the way that veterans are treated in the U.S. Yeah. And how these people come back from war as broken and uh, not as functional. And you really do get his character by the end. By the end of the series, you really do feel for him. And it's even even and it even goes back like even more to his past as a child, to a traumatic and abused childhood that he had in this orphanage, right? I mean, he grew up there and he was the pretty boy. And then they talk about the price that pretty boys pay when. Uh, they're like the grown-ups who are supposed to take care of them, take advantage of them instead of taking care of them. I mean, it's like he's he's becoming instead of just a villain, he's becoming a truly tragic character, and he's got all this um, of all kind of strange vibes through him. Like he's sometimes he's really subtle and quiet and confused, like a tiny confused child. Sometimes he's like angry and very strong and scary. I mean, he's got. All, all these emotions going through him that we did not see in the first series. That was so much nice. It was fun to watch him. Absolutely. I, I agree with you. Absolutely. And now we're going to talk about like something that we like that uh, has to do with the way the show is maybe designed or um, some kind of elements that uh, made us notice. Well, one of the things that I really liked, and it's something that uh, I won't go into spoilers just yet, but we're going to get there soon. But there's, uh, it's like something that we, need, we tend to see in a lot of comic books, stories like uh, the Joker versus Batman, and then one of them is almost the same as the other. It's like this uh, darker mirror image of one another. Billy and uh, Frank were friends. They keep using the word brother all the time. I mean, they also have their other uh, friend and brother, Curtis, by, uh, is, who is portrayed by Jason R. Moore, that's, uh, that's, that keeps on talking to them about it. They were brothers, they were brothers in arms, they were more than friends, they were more than family, they were these people who fought a war together and survived. And that's why the betrayal is so big. And Frank is trying to um, prove to himself and to others that he's not the same as Billy, that he's not a villain. He's Violent. He's got his own set of rules. He's got his own code. He kills people. Yeah, he did. He's got well, anger issues is like <laughs> an understatement. <laughs> yeah, but that he's different. That he's like one of the good guys, maybe, or at least doing something for the greater good. And the sh the series two uh, challenges this perception of himself. And they, one of the ways they show it is that uh, Billy wakes up from the coma with scarring. Now, the scarring is not all that, but it's not something that you can ignore. And it's like showing his uh, inner wounds and inner, uh, inner uh, problems and uh, 
male it's, character characteristics. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a physical manifestation of his inner psyche. Exactly. And as the show progresses, Frank gets hit in the face a lot. I mean, he gets hit a lot, but he gets hit in the face a lot and enough that he starts to show something that looks not so... Uh, not, uh, not very different. Yeah, from the scarring that Billy already has that Frank gave him. So by the end of the show... They look kind of the same. I mean, their face, their disfigurements look the same. Now, obviously, Frank's one is going to get better, but because maybe they're not permanent, but it doesn't matter. I mean, they just—he's got all these bruises and cuts on his faces that just makes you see that this is there's a question here. What was so amazing about this uh, kind of uh, paralleling between the two of them here is that usually the villain is the one who says, "Yeah, we're the same," and the hero always proves him wrong at some point. In here, it's not that obvious. I don't think Frank himself is sure that they're not exactly, you know, that they don't have at least some things in common still. Yeah, by the end of the season, the, there's a symmetry there, and, and Frank's appearance matches his inner self the same way that Billy's does exactly. from I mean, the get-go, from the start of the series. Exactly. I mean, it's this tiny thing that shows, like you said, it's like this outside manifestation of what's going on inside of Frank's mind and how he's actually... This is not a salvation story as much as it's kind of a deterioration story, if you want to call it that. What I want to talk about is the fight choreography of the, of the show. There's, we've come, you know, we've come accustomed to seeing the superhero genre in a lot of ways, presented in a lot of ways, and we've seen violence presented in a lot of ways, and I think the way violence is handled in this show is very good. It's the the action scenes, the fight scenes are very visceral. They're very close up. The violence feels very real. You see the, you feel the impact. It's not a beautifully choreographed superhero martial arts fight uh, there's no lasers the violence is very very real and it's very very in your face and it's also not a Tarantino-esque kind of thing I mean it's no, not there, hyper uh, hyped hyper bloody. no there's no there's no uh, uh, there's no glorification here uh, the violence is shown as the ugly thing that violence is there's scenes that uh, it becomes difficult to watch yeah they're not it's not enjoyable violence and you also get to see the aftermath of the violence. You always get to see the character after the fight uh, removing sh- bullet shards from its ass, uh, the stitches. Yeah. There's scenes where you see the, the, the stitching, where you see the open wound. It's yeah. very unnerving. It's, not, it's graphically unpleasant to watch. And I think that's a very interesting and very good way to present violence. In this kind of a show. And I think it also uh, has some correlation to the narratives this uh, the number two series is talking about because they talk about post-trauma again. And they talk about the pains of the past and it's something that all the character has. I mean, from Madani to uh, side characters like uh, John Pilgrim, who's just like this kind of assassin that's out to get them. And he's also got his past making him pay for things that he's done before. So it's always like there's this... uh, You can't just go around hurting people or get hurt without that having consequences on you. It's like this this show, like, takes the finger, looks at the wound, and, like, sticks the finger in it. (laughs) They're going to make you feel the pain their characters are feeling. And uh, on to the next thing. This is, like, uh, I think now we're, like, proper in spoiler territory. Yeah, from here. Spoilers on from here. So, from now on... 
proper spoilers. If you haven't watched it yet, go watch it and then come back to us. Uh, so, now we're going to talk about some stuff that, uh, that uh, caught us and that we really, really love, right? Yeah. And uh, would you like to start? Uh, so one one show uh, one element of the show that really caught me was um, what was done with uh, Billy Russo's amnesia. Okay, I've gone accustomed to characters uh, having amnesia in shows, and at some point I was sure that Billy's memory is going to come back, and um, we're going to get the old Billy, and that doesn't happen. The character remains in amnesia for the entire show, which creates a really interesting dynamic mm-hmm. where he learns that the man who injured him and who put him in a coma is his best friend, Frank, and he doesn't understand why. He doesn't remember what he did to Frank's family. Uh, He doesn't understand Frank's motives. He doesn't understand his own motives. He's just a man who's waken up to this world where he's disfigured, his best friend is out to get him to kill him, and he's completely at a loss and he's still a soldier in his mind I mean he knows that he's been out of the army but he doesn't feel that way because he has no recollection of anything that happened afterwards right yeah so I think I think that was just that created such an interesting uh, arc for the character I think it would have been very easy to have his memory come back the moment he sees Frank wearing you know the iconic uh, Punisher symbol on his bulletproof vest. Yeah, because he's haunted by that face. I mean, he has these uh, yeah, flashbacks ha- and nightmares yeah, of seeing he, he the skull. Yeah, he has nightmares of the skull and would have been very easy the moment that he sees the skull, you know, to have this click moment where his memory comes back and that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that just keeps the dynamic very, very interesting between these characters and it allows you to really feel for Billy, uh, this man who doesn't remember what he did wrong and he's still suffering consequences. Yeah, and it also has something interesting to do with uh, what the Punisher wants from him. I mean, Punisher was sure that this guy is probably either faking it or, you know, gets what's, what's coming for him. And then when he realized that, that Billy doesn't remember anything and when he saw him coming for him with a gun, he seemed afraid, surprised and hurt. It, it jaws him. I mean, he's like, he, he doesn't know what to do. Yeah, he, he hesitates. He has the beat on Billy. He can He can't shoot him. But when he sees the look on Billy's face and the, the unrealizing, the unrecognizing look of, of Billy, he hesitates and he doesn't take the shot. Exactly. Which has more consequences yes. and implications uh, as the season progresses. Yeah, so it just, it's like, it's like it's all a lot more complex than it was in the first season. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we could have had Billy have his memory back, but that would have completely destroyed the character and... Mm-hmm made him a boring generic supervillain. Yep. And so I think this choice and this way to go with the character was very, very interesting. And uh, what I loved uh, has something to do with all these depths and complications that uh, the series dared to go to, and it's that we do not get a real happy ending for Frank. I mean, we may think we do because there's this girl who's like a daughter to him and they have this kind of, a bit. it starts like a twisted relationship of father and daughter, but then it goes and becomes a normal relationship. He actually, he saves her. He takes her out of this life of running away. She has witnessed something that she shouldn't have. She's got these films of photographs that are being uh, made to blackmail this uh, very, very powerful couple who then go and kill everybody just so these photos won't come 
out because they are super homophobic and they don't want anybody to understand that their son that's in their say he's a governor or something yeah their son power. yeah their son is a governor and uh, he's uh, he's a cons- he's conservative he's yeah. with a conservative party but he's gay and these there's pictures yeah. of him kissing a male yeah uh, not a male man but a male <laughs> man <laughs> um, yeah and so they sent out um, assassins to find try yeah. to locate this girl who has the film, who has the pictures. Yeah, and she doesn't even understand what it is. And she, do, mean, she doesn't even understand just, what she has. She just yeah. knows that she's... Which is also interesting. I mean, she doesn't have a gender. She just wants to stay alive. And on, the, on her way, she just she lies and she steals things. And Frank is actually like, you know, he's teaching her. He's telling her what's what. He's showing her how to use a weapon. And on the other hand, he's also like, you shouldn't go around lying to people. And uh, he actually really becomes this real father figure for her and at the end of the series he gets her on a bus to a place where he's got a friend who's going to help her study a profession that she wanted that involves uh, scuba diving and working in uh, yeah, marine biology marine biology yeah. yeah like something more profound than that and then and then like they have this tiny soft moment and this is Frank okay he's not soft he doesn't show emotions because the last time he's done that all the people he loved got killed and he has a moment of tenderness in the start of the of the season but then that woman almost get killed too so he understands yeah, the, he can't do that yeah in the first episode um, he gets to know this woman and uh, she's got a son and they mm-hmm. become real, and they become very close real and, uh, quick yeah, and real quick and he's super honest with her which is also amazing and then when Frank saves um, the girl Amy Amy from uh, being killed um the bartender woman gets shot. Yeah, and Frank and feels so really Frank bad leaves and he sets off on this adventure. Yeah. Now, it, the way the show is built, you would expect that the last scene of the show would be Frank going back to this woman yeah. and I, her I was, son. And I was kind of hoping for that to happen, like in a cliche manner of you know, way, until the last be, minute of the show. I was yeah. hoping that he's going to get his happy ending and go and live with that woman. She was so nice. Yeah, I mean that would have been the the fairy tale ending where. Frank, uh, he, I mean, Frank's story, the Punisher story starts with him losing his wife and his daughter and his son. Yeah. And here we could have had a situation where Frank gains a wife and a son and a daughter. Yeah. And that would have been the happy ending. But the final scene of uh, the show is Frank in full-on Punisher mode. Yeah. Going with out. the vest and everything. Going out, killing mobsters. He could have had his happy ending. It wasn't sight. Yeah. And he chose to go back to hell, to go back to war. Yeah, Madani even uh, calls him and asks him to join her on these to be like this special op. Like you can do whatever you want. You can keep on killing people, but it's gonna be legal now. And he's like, Nah, I'm busy. I'd rather go and you know do my yeah, and, private and do, yeah, my and do my commercial thing. Killing mobsters. And, and it's a very tragic ending to yeah. a tragic story. And I mean, if you don't want to look at it that way, it looks like, uh, I mean, the reports here in the air, lots of fun because it ends with him like shooting and screaming and killing all the bad guys. But after you've been through everything with him in this season, you understand how really bleak this is because he's got this one soft moment with Amy when he gets her on the bus. It's like he's trying to tell her something. He's like, you know, you meet this one person in the middle of your life and then it just it changes everything and then he just hugs her and he just like you know he just kisses her her arm like you know he's just doing this super uh, a bit goofy but like so tender and soft thing that he didn't do for the entire season 
and then he lets her go and that's it he's done being soft yeah he, he can't he understands that he has to let her go and he won't be in touch with her he can't have it he's done yeah and, and that was it's, it's a man that's completely given up on on his own humanity yeah and and that's that that's horrible and yeah. it was and it was and it was done in such a good way that I enjoyed it so much yeah there's something about the series uh, there's there's a, there's no compassion no there's no compassion towards the punisher in, there's in no the, compassion in the consequences. I mean you do you do feel for him as yeah, well yeah I mean and there's no compassion to towards Billy there's just it's a very not compassionate show I mean you as a viewer have the compassion but the characters don't so what was your Oh my God moment so my oh my God moment also has to do with that uh, lack of compassion um, subject we just discussed there's a scene in the last episode where um, Billy has been shot by Madani and he's on the run and he's dying and he manages to get a message out to Frank because he wants some sort of uh, reconciliation he wants some sort of closure. And um, he, he, he tries to contact Curtis first. He, yeah, he contacts Curtis and Curtis contacts Frank. Yeah, Curtis is done being Mr. Nice Guy, so he just sends the Punisher in. Yeah, and so um, Billy's lying there bleeding uh, on death's bed, and Frank walks in, and Billy's about to start this uh, monologue of, we used to be brothers, and all I want is just for you to be here. And before he finishes talking, Frank just pumps him full of bullets and kills him. Kills him and walks away. Yeah. And it's just there is no compassion. Nobody gets a happy ending. War does not have a happy ending. War is hell and it's violence. And I think it's just a phenomenal way to to end the series. Yeah, yeah, it was so cruel because we you you know and, and I mean and Frank is the hero. He's the guy that we've been identifying with. Yep. For the whole series. And then you see him and he does something so cold-hearted. No, no, they cracked his character really well this time. They busted and, uh, him up. <laughs> and it's like... And, I mean, at that scene, you feel for Billy. You feel for the villain. And you don't feel for Punisher. Yeah, and it's not that Billy was a nice guy through the whole of this second season, okay? He did orchestrate it. Uh, a killing that may would look as if uh, the Punisher killed some innocent girls, but he actually shot them. So he made the Punisher. He wanted to make him. Yeah, he, yeah. He framed. He framed. He made Punisher think that he had killed people, uh, innocent in, people, innocent people, in order to yeah. to break the Punisher. Yeah, but it was just it was Billy's doing all along, and he also has like this love interest of the, his uh, psychiatrist that falls for him and has her own scars like physical and mental and yet somehow and it's because of our expectations I mean all they did this entire season is know what our expectations from this kind of show is and then play with it and break it all the time I mean they kept surprising me in ways that I wouldn't think they would try in such a series that was it was a delightful painful experience to watch mm-hmm. now was there anything that didn't work for you? Uh, yeah, first there's, uh, I mean, if I could change something, and I've noticed it while I was writing my notes for this episode, that I hardly even think right now, I mean, when a bit of time has passed since I've finished watching it, I don't think of the subplots as much. I mean, I don't care for Amy, though she was a really nice girl, and it was supposed to be interesting, but I don't care. And what they did with Badani was a whole thing that you're probably going to talk about soon, and... 
And I also like I couldn't even remember the, the dude like John Pilgrim, who's got like this entire subplot of him being this uh, reformed and uh, reformed neo-Nazi that's become like that's, this yeah, Amish found, dude. Yeah, he's found God and he's a minister and he's got his wife is dying From and he's got cancer, two sons. Yeah, so they, the bad, the real bad guys got his kids. So he's going and he's trying to kill everybody else so that they can get the photos back. It's a bit of a mess. And it seems like a lot of these subplots were there as some fillers. And if I had the, you know, the power, I would try to think of a better way to either cut some of it off or better incorporate it in the narrative so that it would have um, a more uh, substantial um, uh, grasp on me as a viewer. Because it's like I can completely ignore them now. And, all, and as you can see, all we talk about is Billy and Frank. And these subplots are like kind of, they're kind of stay in the background and you just tend to ignore them. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, I always find that these, the, the Netflix Marvel shows always suffer from being too long. I think the show could have been cut down a bit shorter. And well, I think, it was like 13 episodes again, Yeah, right? I think it could have been 10 easily. Yeah. And I think if there was one thing that I would absolutely cut out, it's um, Karen Page. Ooh. From uh, Karen Page, um, played by Deborah Ann Wall, uh-huh. or better known from the Daredevil show. She was also in Punisher season one. They had yeah. kind of like a. It was kind of a weird romantic ish relationship. Yeah, it wasn't it really. It wasn't really clear. It really, wasn't really was clear, that. and it wasn't really necessary because we all know that she's supposed to be with Daredevil, so we don't know why it was there. And in this show, at some point after uh, when Frank is like in his lowest, he thinks he's killed people, he's injured, he's in the hospital. She shows up. Yeah. To give him a pep talk or something. And a hug. And a hug. And I don't know to. Uh, to, to, to find resolution to that like romantic thing that nobody's interested in I mean I, I, I understand and I usually enjoy um, the way that these Marvel shows try to stay interconnected yeah where you'll have like one character from one show show up in another show you know and sometimes it's done in a way that I find convincing you know yeah. if uh, I don't know Somebody needs uh, Jessica Jones needs a lawyer, so Foggy Nelson from Daredevil will show up. Yeah, it that, works. It's fine. fine. Yeah, it's, it, it, it uh, makes sense. But here, it just really felt shooed in. It didn't need to be there. It was just extra padding. And there was a weird thing with fetish for shoes. Yeah, there was like a weird character with a shoe, shoe fetish. fetish. Uh, it just wasn't necessary at all. It didn't move the plot. It didn't help the characters progress it was just there so we can say oh look it's that character from daredevil and punisher it's all the same world and it's like at this point we know it so there's no problem where we have a season of a show where we don't have that inner connectivity because we know we know it's the same world exactly we don't need other characters oh you know what you wanted you had turk the the weapons runner who shows up in every show yeah. So we've had that. And we you don't also need had Karen one Page. of the chief police guys who yeah. actually had a thing going on here. I mean, he had a substantial... Yeah, he, so, was, he was a very good plot device. She so was, there was, just, there was, she no, was just there. It yeah, was so like, there was no need for her to be there and that could have cut off at least one episode. Easy. Yep, I tend to agree. 
And uh, on the note of stuff that we didn't like, my cringy moment, and look, I love the show, okay? But we've decided that we're going to find stuff that we didn't like because even uh, the most perfect piece ever has some stuff that can make it even better. And every silver lining has its cloud. Yeah. So the Punisher Series 2 cloud was... Billy's mask and the scarring actually but okay Billy's going running around with this weird the uh, supposed to be creepy black and white mask with all these uh, cracks on it and like black uh, black stains and then we understand how it came to be because he has it at the hospital before he runs away and it's like something that the psychiatrist told him oh well you're I give this to my patients so they can feel better about themselves and just you know paint the mask with what you want the world to see you as and it's like this creepy ugly but kind of really cheap looking mask yeah it kind of looks like something like one of my young nephews would do for yeah. Purim or Halloween like a plain paper mask where you take a marker yeah. and you draw on it a bit and the thing is even when he removes I mean when he removes the mask and we get to see the scarring It's not that bad. And he's still pretty boy, Billy Russo. I mean, he still looks good. I mean, in, in the comics, you know, he's, he's a supervillain mobster called Jigsaw, and his face looks like he's been through a meat grinder. I mean, think about, like, Batman's Two-Face times two. Damn. I mean, he, in the comics, he's hideous. No, so in here, it's like and he new scratch and bruises. Yeah, okay, he's... he's But he's still a handsome fellow. Yeah, and he's still super charismatic as well. So if he's that charismatic, then you should give him worse and deeper and crazier scars. And now I do not come to belittle uh, therapy that uses, you know, art therapy and all these kind of things that you do to make people feel better. But it just felt like not relatable to the character. It felt disconnected and weird that she was like, yeah, you should try and do that. Yeah, and then felt, he wears it and it's like why it, it felt like he should wear the mask and listen to My Chemical Romance yeah. and Tokyo Hotel and like nobody understands the inner darkness no it was, it was not a good mask no no it was not it looked like ridiculous yeah really. but, uh, but you know what I can forgive that what uh -huh. I can't forgive and that's my cringe moment and it was a long moment was pretty much the way that Agent Madani was treated the whole show yeah I mean this is a woman who's a special agent she's been through a lot of stuff in the first season and it seems like in this season she has not only not learned her lesson but she's become dumber and less competent and unprofessional. and unprofessional and and it's not even it's not even it wasn't done convincingly I, I wasn't convinced that she's acting this way because of trauma I was just act it felt like she didn't know any better. I mean, you know, this is a character whose story in the first season was she was played for a fool by yeah. Billy Russo. Yeah. She, you know, he she took him as a lover and he gained lots of information from her and he completely used her. Yeah, he killed her partner. He, he killed tried her partner, to kill her. He tried to kill her, he shot her in the head. Yeah, but she helped the Punisher get him. I mean, she was a powerful character or at least somebody with her own agency in the and, first season. And in this series, she just falls into the same places and she's used again by uh, she's treated like a fool and she's used again by Billy Russo's girlfriend uh, and the by therapist Billy himself. and by Billy himself and even a bit by Frank I mean I don't know she's and, like uh, I mean where, where I mean 
this is not a strong, competent female character, and I think the show is much weaker for it. Yeah. Um, and if so, so, that was every time Adani was on screen doing stuff, I cringe. Yeah, I mean, she kept doing the wrong thing, and it doesn't matter if it was a small thing or a big thing. I mean, all the things that she did was always like getting everybody else and herself included in trouble. And it was like one step shorter than a cliched hysterical woman that lets her feeling get the better of her. And we're way past that. I mean, you can be a traumatized woman and still be, be competent and a fully, you know, rounded character. Hello, Jessica Jones. So what's going on? Yeah. I don't know. That, that was really bad. But hey, it's just, it was the worst thing. But at least all the other stuff was really good. Yeah. So and I think that's about... Uh, yeah. I mean, if we need to wrap it up, this is a big yay for Punisher Series 2. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Even even though we did have our uh, problems with it, which we told you about, I think good far overweighs the bad. And yep, it's yep, an absolute yep. yay for me. So if you haven't checked it out yet... Do check it out. Go check it out. Uh, and uh, if you did check it out... Feel free to tell us what you thought about it in the yes. comments, um, wherever yeah. it will be. Yeah, we'll put it on on Twitter and on Facebook. And you can find us everywhere on iTunes and everybody everywhere else where you listen to podcasts these days. Yeah. And uh, just before we go, let you know, this broadcast is brought to you by nobody. We yeah. don't get any money from it yet. Not yet. But, but we're uh, working on making it better and sound better. Yeah, one day we'll get a mic. A proper mic. Yeah. So, uh, until that far away day, or maybe not that far away day, this is Yoni. And this is Liron. And we're signing out. Yep. And have a good day. Bye. Bye.